Hello, thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance his kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. Right. All right. Should have borrowed their towel before they went back in there. <laughs> I know so many of us often wait for the word and think sometimes that's the most important part of the service. If we will do that, we will miss so much of the Lord's beauty. Right? We got to realize all of the stuff up to this point really was for him. And now this might this this part might be for you. Stay right there here, Leah. Let me give this back to you. I don't know what to do with it. Blow my nose, you won't want it back. Thanks, man. Well, we got to realize that in, in worship, in, in those moments of praise of where his presence shows up, it changes everything. And sometimes for Pastor Noah, it's like, man, do we leave? Do we stay? What in the world do we do? But I believe that every Sunday, if we come expecting, God will meet us right where we're at. I've seen services and I've seen people that will experience a mighty move of the Lord in their life, and then I'll see others leave completely empty. Perhaps sometimes it is based on what you're hoping for or what you desire or your engagement. If you just came this morning to check a box, to say I went to church, maybe you're going to take your bulletin and you're going to get a discount at a restaurant, whatever it may be. If your motive this morning was not to meet with the Lord and to glorify him for who he is, we are missing the whole point. Now, we don't know if we were deserving of it or not. Most of the time, we're not deserving of it. But the Lord has been good this morning. He has showed us his presence. He has allowed us to just bask in his presence. And I believe that he continually wants to do that even through the message this morning. Amen. So this morning, we're going to jump right in. And uh, I, I like these when I'm not in a series because I really say, Lord, what is next? What are you wanting? What are you wanting me to speak? What do you want me to focus on? And this morning, we are going to talk about growing your faith. We got to realize that faith is something that can be grown. It, it can be something that is just really small in our lives. It can be something that's mediocre or it can be something that's great. But we have to realize that in physical growth, physical growth is a process that ha- happens automatically, but spiritual growth requires your participation. You realize that we can't grow spiritually and just be passive and not do anything. You know, it's, it's like, I don't know if you've ever seen bodybuilders that have muscles on top of muscles, right? That just doesn't happen by being passive. It requires a great deal of discipline, a great deal of work. And if you ever see a person like that, you never ask that person, hey, you work out, huh? You just wouldn't do that. You would, you would see by the evidence in their life that they work out. So I think faith sometimes is the same way. When there is a lack of faith, nobody will see it. They won't question it. They won't say, wow, this is a man of faith. They won't even say anything. But somebody who has great faith in their life, they will see it. It will be recognized. It, it, will, it will cause others to say, wow, that person really trusts in the Lord or that person has great faith. 
So we can be an adult by age, but we can still be an infant spiritually. We have to realize this. It's not based on age. Spirituality has to do with time spent with the Lord. Now, I've seen people who have just become Christians be more mature. Careful, all you veterans. More mature than those who have been in church their whole life. And, and maybe it is because they have just yielded to the presence of the Lord that they've allowed God to just work on them and move in their life. You know, this morning as, as, as ministry was happening, I just saw this visual of, you know how when you're on a, on a roller coaster ride or you remember, I mean, I hadn't been to it forever, but you know the little log chute rides where you know at some point on the ride you're going to get wet. And you're like, I don't want to get wet, but it's not an option, right? You know, so you try to duck and dodge, or maybe you're that cool tourist that bought the little rain poncho. You're on a log shoot ride, like you're going to get wet. Just suck it up, man. Like, you know, it's part of it. But I believe what God was taking us through this morning, he wasn't just taking us through this nice, relaxing ride, but he was forcing us under a waterfall of his presence, that cause a saturation and a purging and a cleansing that you cannot control. Some of you, it will hit you so hard, it will knock you off your feet. But if we will position ourselves under there, it will begin to wash and to clean and to purify. You know, sometimes, you know, in our own effort, we try to clean ourselves up well. And my son, man, he's going to hate me one day, but, uh, you know, he's growing to be a young man, right? So it's very obvious when he has washed well and he has not. Anybody that has a young man in their home knows what I'm talking about. Did you shower? Yeah, dad, come here, man. He doesn't even have to get all the way to me. And I say, go try again. So he's at that place. You better put deodorant on. You better wash well. You know, he's all excited about becoming a young man, and, but with it comes the territory of self-cleaning. Well, what you got to realize with faith and with being cleansed by the presence of the Lord, it is just more of a positioning thing than it is a self-work thing. You just allow yourself to just bask in his presence, to be washed by that powerful waterfall of his love and his grace in your life, and allow him to do the work in your life but I feel like I'm going to die. I feel like I can't breathe. It will never take you through anything that will kill you, but it will change you. Hebrews 5, 11 through 13. This is what he says in this passage. He says, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you. And listen to this phrase. It says, because you no longer try to understand. Verse 12, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach the elementary truths of God's word all over again. So it's like you just got through first grade, you didn't get it, go back to first grade. I mean, that's kind of a, you know, or let's say you're a a senior, you're about to graduate. No, you didn't get it, go back to sixth grade. Come on, like it's like you didn't get it, but why didn't you get it? You no longer try to understand. It says you need milk, not solid food. Verse 13, anyone who lives on milk being still an infant, listen to this, it's some strong language, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So a child, you know, when a child is learning, I heard this story from a friend just the other day, I was laughing. You know, my kids never did this, and I don't know if they asked the question to get the answer, and then they remembered the answer so they didn't ask me the question again. But maybe some of you were blessed with a why child, What I mean by that is, Dad, why are these lights on? Well, 
They turned them on. Well, how do they work? Well, they're plugged into a switch. Where's the switch, Dad? Well, the switch is back there. Well, how does the switch turn on? Well, there's electricity. Well, where does the electricity go? It's like, dear Lord. Right? You know, it's, somewhat, it's a why child. Just They keep asking, they keep asking, they keep asking. Well, how many of you know that if you're asking to truly understand, it's a good thing, but if you're asking and you don't care about the response, it does nobody no good? Well, why? Well, why? Well, why? Whoops. That's why, right? You know, that's what you want to do as a parent. But if we are truly learning to understand what God is showing us and teaching us, we can grow onto maturity. We can grow in our faith. But I feel like some of us in our response, why, why, why? And God is just shaking his head. And thank God that he doesn't backhand us like a parent might. Right? You know, you just think about it. It it drives you nuts. And the person I was laughing, uh, that I was talking to said, it was, a, it was a grandma watching the baby. He says, I'm praying for my daughter because I don't know how she handles it. I had him for an hour and I was about to lose it, right? You know, so we think about this why, why, why. So, you know, really we have to realize that spiritual growth should be continually happening throughout the course of our life. It's not that we arrive or we finish. It should be, spiritual growth should always be happening. So the moment we no longer try to understand and grow in the things of the Lord, we should be very, very concerned. Maybe we think we figured it all out. Maybe we've read the Bible from beginning to end. I've already read that book before. (laughs) If that's your thoughts of of the Bible, you have no understanding how it was written. It's not like a fiction novel where you can say, oh, I know what it's going to say or it's going to ex- explain and it's gonna, you're going to have the exact same feel. Every time you read scripture, it feels different. It highlights something different. I will read the same scripture every week and it shows me something new. Every single time. Because there's inspiration in it. It's something that causes, guess what? My faith to grow. Okay. So if we're not growing, we should be concerned. So it says we cannot remain infants. So infants are those who are not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness according to this passage. I'm not making the definition. The scripture makes the definition for that. But being mature is explained as someone who has trained who? Themselves to distinguish between good and evil. So knowing what is right, knowing what is wrong. You know, it's one thing when your child does not know what is right and what's wrong. Because there's a training period, right? It would not be fair to my child to discipline them or scold them if they don't know what they are supposed to be doing. So the moment everything changes is when they know what the response should be or what the action should be, and then they choose correctly or they choose incorrectly. That's when the discipline and the rod of correction comes into their life. When they know what is right, but yet they choose to do what is wrong. Now, some of you say, Pastor Noah, I'm glad you're talking about your kids, but some of you are acting just like my kids. You know what the truth of God's word says, but maybe it's too difficult. Maybe you don't understand why. You know, that was something I was challenged with. Uh, I was having a conversation with somebody said, you know, explain the why, Pastor Noah. We want to always know the why. And I feel like I give you the why. But you got to hear what is said first, and then I'll explain the why. But do you truly want to know what Scripture says, or do you not want to know what it says? You know, sometimes we, sometimes we don't want to know what God's Word says, because then it requires something of us. We would rather walk in ignorance and in infancy, because we think it's okay and acceptable to be infants our whole life, but that does not glorify God. I call it stunted Christianity, where somebody begins to follow Christ, and then they cross the line, and they're like, ooh, I made it into heaven. And that's it. Great. I don't, I don't have to go to hell now. 
but there is not this continual process of maturing, of growing, okay? So we realize that um, growing in our relationship with Christ requires participation on our part. Um, So receiving salvation is the easy part, but continually walking and following Jesus through fellowship with him is where the work is required. It's like the disciples when he said, hey, you know, cast your nets, you know, get rid of them and come and follow me. The work was not acknowledging who Jesus was. They acknowledged who Jesus was. They could have acknowledged who Jesus was and stayed in the boat, but the cost of following Christ required them to leave what was comfortable and familiar and follow them in pursuit of him. You know, I think about, you know, the time that they spent, and they, you got to realize in the, in the old, in, in the Bible times, they walked everywhere. Jesus, where are we going? Well, we're going here. Well, why are we going there? Because I said, well, what's, who, you know, that's a bad town. Yes, I know. Like, you know, man, I felt like, you know, these disciples were probably going through this process of infancy. But yet there was something that happened in their life when they spent time with Jesus where everything began to change. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 7, it says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. So how do we grow on to maturity? So we must focus on growing our faith. So I want to make a transition of where we're talking about growth and maturity to where we want to see for growth to happen, we have to grow our faith. If you grow your faith, you will become more mature. If you don't grow your faith, you will not become mature. I just want to present that kind of as the case this morning, what I'm talking about. You know, so when faith grows, we grow. So we need to understand how does our faith grow? So the natural process of spiritual growth can be compared to a seed, okay? So in Mark 4, 26 through 29, he says, he says this also, he says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It says, a man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel of wheat. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. So there is this process of growth, right? When a seed is planted, we expect it to grow. So the seed of God's word in in our life works just like a natural seed, okay? So we're talking about how do we grow our faith? What causes our faith to grow? What are the elements that really mature us the quickest, Now, I believe that there are practices that we practice sometimes that we believe in church culture that help us to grow, but I'm going to challenge you that there is one thing that is far superior to anything else you do. Dun, dun, dun. I'm not going to tell you what it is yet. Let me keep going. All right? So we have to realize, you know, for, for for the seed to grow, it has to be placed in the right environment to spring forth to life. Would you agree with that? Think about a seed that's left in a packet. You know, my daughter, and we still haven't planted those seeds. I don't even know if they grow after a year. Do they die? Can I still plant them? I can still plant them. Okay. So there's always life in the seed, even if Pastor Noe keeps them for a full year and didn't plant them, right? So if you keep the seed in the seed packet, they will never become what they were designed to become. It doesn't mean that the seed doesn't work. It doesn't mean that they are not, that there's not life in the seed, but if they are not planted, it does nothing. Okay, so we realize that the seed is always going to work. You know, so the Bible, you know, you got to realize that everything in Scripture, you know, when it talks about a seed birthing forth to life, let's think about faith in that light, right? 
Faith is meant to grow. You guys realize that a Bible that collects dust, dust will never grow your faith? And I don't, I don't know how many, like if, if everybody's like a digital reader now or people like, you know, if you like to read in a Bible, I like making notes and highlighting and drawing arrows. And if you ever get a book after I've read it, I'm so sorry. That's how my brain works. I make notes. So I don't have to read the whole book. I can kind of just flip through it and find all the nuggets. And, you know, one of my favorite jokes with my wife is my wife has tried to, you know, there's, good, there's things that Pastor Noe is great at and there's things that Pastor Becky's great at. Highlighting text in a book, Becky is not good at that tell you her one flaw in life, right? You know, but it's funny because like she'll read through my books. She's like, oh, that's really good. And then I will read one of her books that she read. It's so funny because she highlights the whole page. And I'm like, what's the point of that? She goes, it was all good. I said, yeah, but I might as well just read the book again. I said, just highlight the nuggets and see, circle this. And this right here is actually talk. You know, this is how my brain in real life works. And I was like, never mind. And so anytime we get a book, you know what happens? <laughs> she gets her book. I get my book. I write my name on it. Don't touch my book, right? You'll mess up my system. But we realize that, guys, if you have a Bible that's been sitting on a nightstand or sitting, you know, on your table or something, and it is collecting dust, that is completely contrary to growing faith in your life. All right? So we have to realize that any time, you know, in, in, the par- in the parables of the sower in Luke 8, you know, we t- you hear the story about, you know, seed was scattered and it, and it fell. And we have to realize that this passage says that the seed is the word of God. Every single time it's the word of God in this illustration, right? So it says all through this parable, do you realize the seed always grew and became mature? There's only two, there's only two times that it didn't really have a chance. It's when it was trampled and it was eaten up. But the other times it was thrown on the rock, which that's crazy to me because when I think of throwing, scattering seed on rocks, like here, and it still grew. The seed still grew even on the rock. And then it said it was in a thorny place, a place that wasn't ideal, but yet it still grew. And then it was planted in the soil and it produced a multitude of return. So you, you got to realize that even if the seed is positioned in something not ideal, the seed slash the word will always produce results every single time. So the problem is not with the seed. The problem is with the environment. 2 Timothy 1.14, it says, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. So first and foremost, from this passage, I want you to realize that we can guard this deposit. We can guard this seed in our life that was entrusted to us. And we have a helper. The Holy Spirit that lives in us causes the seed or the word to be guarded. You know, I think about it, if, you know, if the seed, you know, that's, that's planted in the right, can, you know, it wouldn't have been trampled on and it wouldn't have been eaten if somebody was guarding the seed. Whoa, 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 don't step on that. Or somebody's with a little newspaper, like swatting the birds, like, hey, get away, get away from the seed, guarding the seed. Like, that's what the Holy Spirit does. But how much more when that seed is deposited, not just in the soil, but in the depths of our heart? When it's planted deep within our heart, it causes to burst forth to life and it causes fruit in our lives. So we realize that the Holy Spirit helps us. 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 7, it says, For this uh, reason I remind you, that's, pointing, that's talking to you specifically, to fan into flame the gift of God which, was, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For the Spirit of God um, gave us, does not give us a t- timid spirit, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. But realize it says, for this reason, I remind you to fan in the flame. A lot of people blame God, say, God will cause this life, cause it to come to life, 
Help it to grow. You realize what has to happen is you have to breathe life on it and bring the wood, but it's yet the Holy Spirit that turns it on fire. Have you ever tried to start a fire when it's little and you kind of blow, get a little bit of fanning into flame, causing like the embers to start growing and, and working? And once it, once it starts catching on fire, it's easy to add wood, but it's very difficult to take a big piece of, a log piece of wood and just get it to start. But you know, the Holy Spirit will light up anything we give them, okay? But it's something that you have to do. So this morning, the challenge is to grow your faith. Many people will come up with a whole list of things They'll keep, to keep their relationship with the Lord strong, you know, but there's one thing this morning, if not practice, will stunt your growth. And if you haven't figured out what it is yet, it's the Word. There's good fiction books, there's good novels, there's good commentaries, but if you are not reading the Word, now you're like, well, what translation, Pastor Noe? I don't care what translation you read, as long as it's the Word. Whatever makes it easier for you to understand, whichever keeps it in context, but you know, like, well, this is, this is, this is extra, this wasn't in the original Bible, well, then don't read it. Don't base that on your theology, because there, there are other parts that were not categorized in the Bible itself. And those are supplemental reads. Those are not critical reads. But from cover to cover, anything that you read in the Word will produce faith. You sure about that, Pastor? Let me dig a little bit deeper. For faith to grow, you have to hear the message, listening to the Word. Romans 10, 17, it says, consequently, dot, 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 listen to what this says, faith comes from Hearing the message. Well, what about praying, Pastor Noe? I like to pray. Well, okay, hold on. Faith comes from hearing the message. Well, I like worship, Pastor Faith comes from hearing the message. So this is the an audible practice, not a silence one. Now, you know, me as a pastor, it's really awkward unless I go back and listen to my sermons, which that is so weird. Sometimes I'll do it to critique myself or whatever, but I'm like... What you listen to, Pastor Noe? Myself? That's so dumb. I just hate doing that. I feel like, oh, listen to this guy. Man, I listen to the best pastor in Bay City. Well, who is he? Myself. Like, no, I don't do that. It feels so awkward. Now, sometimes I'll listen, especially if God is really moving in a service and he's speaking through me a whole lot of stuff that aren't on my notes because there are deposits all through this message that the Holy Spirit works out. I'll go back and say, man, that was good, and take notes on my sermon, which is if you've never done it and you've never experienced that, it's hard to explain, but there are moments where it's like, man, that's really good. Well, that'll preach or like listen to something. But you have to realize as a pastor, it's difficult because we are always audibly giving the word and not necessarily hearing the word. All of you are hearers of the word this morning. So if you are hearing biblical principles from the word of God, your faith has the potential to increase and to grow. Now, you can go and say, well, I like to read my Bible quiet and that grows my faith. And there's a measure to that. But this passage says hearing it. Not reading it in my mind, not speaking it quietly, but to hear the word, right? So that's something that I have to really work at. You know, I try to listen to messages and listen to podcasts of different pastors. So, so Pastor Noe gets his faith built up also, all right? So I, I would charge you and challenge you this morning that there is nothing like the word of God. Now, on the other side, I think sometimes when you're getting bogged down or you're like, oh man, like... I don't understand what this is saying. Then read a supplemental book that kind of brings it to life. Because there are some script, there are some chapters in the Bible and some, some books of the Bible that are challenging to read. There are some that Pastor Noe reads, and I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? 
I understand it's inspired, but Lord help me. I, I'm not a great historian, like, you know, so if you like history, Old Testament might be for you. I've never been great at history as far as kind of networking all the time frames together. And, you know, Becky, every time I'm talking about she, and so how she helps me, she's like, oh, well, that time right there, it's kind of like over there by the gladiator time. Like she'll relate it to a movie. That's the only way I can do it. She's like, oh, well, so like, is that like the three musketeers time? Or like, I'm trying to figure out in my mind. She's like, it's so cool when you understand. I said, the problem is I don't understand it. But, it, but there, there's different parts of the Bible that just show you different things and timelines and genealogies and all of these things. But nothing needs to be omitted and taken out. I would challenge you if there's certain areas of the Bible that you've never read, read it. If you can't read it, listen to it. You know, so th- there's just something special and powerful about hearing the Word of God. So how many of you guys know what version is? It's a Bible app. Most of everybody has it. You may not even know what it's called. It has a little Bible on it. Do you realize if you go to that passage of Scripture and you scroll all the way to the bottom, there's a play button? And it will actually read the Bible to you. That is Pastor Noe's ace in the hole because, you know, it, now sometimes it's the monotone kind of put you to sleep. And you know, you know what another cool feature is? I remember that, uh, like, I think last year, maybe it was the year before, we started trying to read through the Bible as a church. And so, like, to catch up, man, I was listening to it. Well, check it out. There's a fast forward button that reads it twice as fast. So I was like, I'm going to be spiritual, I'm going to catch up. But man, you cannot read the word twice as fast and retain what it is saying. You know, it's like trying to, trying to swallow a large amount of water through a funnel. It just doesn't happen. Sometimes you've got to slow it down. Maybe you'll read one passage of scripture and say, ooh, that's really good. Just stop there and chew on that, marinate on that a little bit. You don't have to read a ton, just be reading the word, hearing the word. Somebody will say something, he's like, man, that's good. You know, it's always going to produce faith, okay? So this morning, I want to look at three categories of faith, that there's no faith, that there is a lack of faith, and there is great faith, okay? And we're going to look at, look at examples in the Scripture that communicate these three different areas. So in Mark 6, 1 through 6, this is the first one where there is, a, a, there is no faith or there is a lack of faith, okay? And it says that, that Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples, So when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get get these things, they asked? With what wisdom has he been given to him? What are remarkable miracles he is performing? And then verse 3 says, Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. You know, so what was happening with Jesus, he was in a place of familiarity. He was at a place where people, it was, he was just too common. And I think in Christian, in, in Christian American culture, we can get too familiar, too comfortable with God. If you ask somebody, hey, are you a Christian? You know what somebody's going to tell you if they live in Texas? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. We're like, you sure about that? Oh, yeah. I go to church every Sunday. Have I told you all the joke when somebody will tell me they go to Harvest Time Church and they don't? And I don't tell them who I am? That's so. I'm just like, right on, I'm not going to level you out on that. They said, you know, I ask a lot, man, that's one of my things. Hey, you know, if they're off or the, hey, first thing, do you work on Sunday? Secondly, hey, where do you go to church? But I have literally had people say, oh, I go to harvest time. And I know we have a lot of visitors. We have a few visitors in the house this morning, but like, I'm pretty good at faces, right? You know, and I was like, huh, okay. 
You go often? Oh, yeah, all the time. Cool, I'm glad you go to church. And I just walk away and I don't humiliate them. But I know, I'm like, I don't even tell them who I am at that point because I was like, man, you just be caught in a big lie. Right? But, you know, I think sometimes in, in church culture we get to where, you know, yeah, I'm a Christian, or yeah, I know Jesus, or we've heard the testimony of Jesus, but yet we don't understand the power of the testimony. We're just familiar with the story of Jesus, but yet we are not so excited when we understand the significance and power of that testimony, that story. I was pick, picking on one of the youth this morning. I said, hey, if you had to preach this morning, what would you preach on? Man, eyes get that big. I love that. I, it's so funny because like, are you serious? I'm not serious, but I, what if I was? What would you preach on? And I encouraged her. I said, one of the greatest things you can ever teach on is salvation. Jesus loves you. The cross, the blood, forgiveness, he's the only way. You could preach that every single Sunday and be successful. Because why? It's the most important story you will ever be told, and it's the most important story that you will ever hear, but yet it is the most communicated story we ever hear. So sometimes it loses the value, or we want something new. Well, there is no new way. There is no new doctrine. There is no new Bible. Now, there's a new living translation, but it's still an interpretation of the original designed Bible. Nothing will replace the word. So we look at this, that this familiarity kind of happens. So we keep going through this story. Um, It says, then Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown among his relatives and his own home. He said he could not do very many miracles there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and they were healed. In verse 6, it says he was amazed at their lack of faith, that they had no faith to believe. I don't want to be a person like that. Even if I've seen, even if I've experienced his presence, Lord, help me to be never, to to not be so comfortable or familiar that that I am a person of no faith. All right? Now, we don't want to stay there because the two other ones are a little bit funner, right? So little faith, you know, which some, some of the translations call it weak faith. So we're going to look at the story of Peter here in Matthew 14, 28 through 31. In verse 28, he says, Lord, if this is you, this is where he's in the boat. And Jesus says, hey, get out of the boat. Come, you know, step out onto the water. And, you know, he says, if it's you, say come. So he says, hey, come on. So Peter got out of the boat. He walked on the water. He came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink. And he cries out and he says, Lord, save me. So immediately Jesus reaches out his hand. He catches him and he says, you of little faith. You know, and he says, why did you doubt? You know, so one thing about this story amazes me. This dude got out of the boat. And Jesus still said it was little faith. (laughs) If I'm stepping out of a boat, Jesus, you better categorize that as great faith. He got out of the boat. He said, walk on the water. He he tested Jesus and said, if it's really you, tell me to come. And he's like, hey, well, get out of the boat and come on. I'd be like, "Uh uh-huh. Lack of faith would have been like, I was just playing, Jesus. (laughs) That's what I wouldn't have got out of the boat. I mean, like, hey, throw me my life jacket. I mean, I don't know. I would have just not boldly just said, okay, looks good, Jesus, and just hop on out. You know, and I think maybe before, you know, it says that he was looking at Jesus and then he shifted his focus and he began to look at circumstances and, you know, then he began to take his eyes off of Jesus and then said, hey, where was your faith? Now, a lot of people say in this scripture, because there was a lack of faith, He wasn't standing on faith, but he was standing on the word of God. When Jesus says, walk on the water, stand on the water, get out of the boat, he not only commands it, but he enables you to do it. 
Right? See that? If Jesus says do it, we have the ability to do it. But yet faith can be far from us. You know, in, in my eyes, you know, if I was the judge, I would say that's great faith. But Jesus calls it a lack of faith or little faith. He looked at the circumstances around him and began to sink. So I want to keep moving. So great faith, those who are faithful, those who have a large measure of faith. So this is the perspective that people have that have great faith uh, in the unmovable perspective of who Jesus is, absolutely convinced that Jesus will do what he said he will do. So we're going to look at two different examples. We're going to look at the centurion and we're going to look at the Canaanite woman because both of these individuals in this story, Jesus uses the word great faith. So when he says great faith, what I wanted to do, I said, Lord, well, what did they do that got them the great faith sticker and not the no faith or eh, little faith or man, I'm talking the gold star, right? What did they do that Jesus called it great faith? So let's look at this first one in Matthew 8, 5 through 10. It says that when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? So at this moment, Jesus was giving him the option to come to his house. Now, what are all of us going to do at that question? Be like, heck yeah, Jesus, come on. You got to come to my house. But listen to this response, okay? He says, the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve you to have to come under my house. So maybe your house is dirty. Maybe it's not clean. Maybe you got stuff you don't want Jesus to see. Whatever it looks like, he didn't want him to come to his house. But yet he was bold enough to come to Jesus. But this is what he says. He says, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. And in verse 9 it says, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one to go and he goes, this one to come and he comes. And I say to the servant, do this and he does that. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. So if Jesus is amazed at something, we need to pay attention to the details. I mean, I don't know how many things amazed Jesus, but this amazed him is what it said. And it says, this one, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Now, if I'm Peter, I'm just like, but Jesus, I just walked on the water. Little faith. But this one had great faith. So what happened in this story? He, th- this person realized that Jesus didn't even have to be there, but yet at his word, which produces faith and action and causes things to happen, at the word spoken by Jesus, it was good enough. Man, I would, you know, and nowadays, you know, like people come up to the altar call. Well, man, if I can, if I can get Pastor Noe to pray, pray for me, it's going to be all right. What we really need to say, as soon as the Lord speaks it over our life, it's done. Doesn't have to be this ritual the way we normally do it. But we saw all through the through the through the parables that Jesus would what it says he would lay his hands or he would speak it. But guess what happened every other time? He was present. So we see a measure of faith here where they understood Jesus does not have to be there for it to happen way over there, but yet at his spoken word, it's done. Think about that. That's great faith. Let's look at this second story, kind of the same thing. Matthew 15, 28 through 28. This is the Canaanite woman uh, from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering, suffering terribly. So Jesus did not answer a word. He didn't say anything. So the disciples came to him and urged him and said, hey, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. You know, I just think about this like, man, like these crazy disciples. Really? 
This were, these were the guys that started the church. It would be like, we're up here just hanging out, and somebody's over there at the door yelling for something, and I'm, I just ignore her. And then my guys over here, my ushers, my deacons, my elders, like, hey, can you send this crazy lady away? She's just kind of she's interrupting the message or so. I mean, I don't know. What, what was this like? Right? Just send her away. You know, and, you know, that, that, was, the, that was the response they came from. And, you know, and he says, and then he even answered, he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And then the woman came and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. He replied, I did not, I, I, it is it not right to take children's bread and toss it to the dogs? And, the, and he, he says, and she replies. So she is bold to almost, when Jesus makes a statement, she says, yeah, ah, 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 but Jesus, whoo, okay, think about that. Jesus makes a statement, but you're like, but Lord, some boldness there. I just, I'm the ignorant, foolish one. But she responds and her response gets action. It says, it's not right to take children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord. said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. So there's scraps that fall off. You know, so she was saying, all she was asking for was this little bitty scrap. Just a little bit. And yet even the dogs get that. You know, and, you know, and there's a lot of, you know, what she calling her a dog? What was all, don't get caught up in that, right? You know, but it says, then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your, requ- your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at the moment. So I broke that down. I said, okay, not just what happened, but how did it happen? The daughter was not there. The mother was pleading to Jesus on behalf of somebody else. Kind of the same thing. But Lord, at your word, it will be done. So we really see the power and the magnitude of God's word. So, P- Pastor Noe, why is it important that, my, that I grow my faith, that my faith grows? Hebrews eleven six 6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe, first and foremost, that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith grows when we seek the Lord. The re- you know, the reward is that we have found him. But we have to first seek Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, now faith is, is confidence in, in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Now, that's hard for us sometimes. I was at a pastor's meeting this last week, and, you know, I challenged them with the question, can we have the same relationship that the disciples had with Jesus, but yet never seeing or touching or feeling him? Peter, all through the scriptures, believed that we could that we could have that same intimacy, that we could have that same closeness with the Father that he had. But faith is is, is believing what God has said he was going to do, he's going to do, and being absolutely convinced and resting assured of what we don't see sometimes. One of the examples that I really, really like to use is, you know, we don't necessarily... does, Does anybody believe that wind does not exist? We can't see wind. You can't even catch the wind. You could try, and I'd love to see you do that. But we see its effects everywhere we go. Blowing the flags, cool breeze, South Texas blowing that stale air right in your face, whatever it may be, right? We see the evidence of the wind, but yet we can't see it, but yet we believe that it exists. God's like that. We see evidence all around of who he is. But yet sometimes we can't see him directly face to face. But one day we will. But faith is believing in what we can't see and resting assured in what we haven't seen. So what is it that grows your faith as supported by Scripture? 
So I'm going to give you five things, just uh, some food for thought, uh, five things that you can do to grow your faith. Um, So number one, hear the word of God. Hear it. You're doing it today, but don't let just Sundays be the only day that you hear the word of God. Maybe husbands, read the word to your wife. Maybe wives, read the scripture to your husbands. You know, there's a scripture that says, husbands, you know, wa- you know, you know, the washing of the word, husbands, love your wives in this way. You think perhaps it's reading the word of God over your wife. What do you think about that? You want to re- reignite some flame in your relationship? Try that. See what happens. Wash over her with the word. Number two, read and meditate on the word of God. Now, this is not hearing it, but everything is word-focused every single time. The word, the word, the word, the word, the word. There's going to be five examples I give you. The word has to be the focus point of everything we do. Spend time with God. So what do I mean by this? Fellowship and biblical worship, not just feel-good worship. So that's one thing at this church we try to do. We just won't sing every song that comes as a hit or whatever. It has to be biblical. You know, that's one of the things, you know, the hymns, I love them. Sometimes they mess me up, but they are so biblically founded and rich. When I listened to a hymn, I was like, man, that guy based that song off of the word, not on fancy lyrics. You know, I believe that God wants to resurrect some of those hymns, maybe with a new flavor or new style, but yet the, 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 the saturation of the word in those songs will change you because they're scriptural. Think about that all the time. Me and Morgan, we look at the song and say, hey, is this biblical? Is it scriptural? Is it something that supports the word? Is it something that, or is it just a feel-good song? It's just a feel-good song and it's not biblical. Man, let's get rid of it. It's not going to grow us. It's not going to support us. It's going to, I mean, otherwise, let's, hey, kick on a country song, buddy. Like, well, what's the difference? Man, I like that country song, but it's not going to edify the spirit. That's what I'm talking about. It has to be scriptural. The word, right? Number four, exercise your faith. What does that mean? That means get out of the boat. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Well, Peter faltered. Yeah, but if he would have kept his eyes on Jesus, he would have walked all the way with Jesus. I think there was the potential there for Peter to have great faith. The potential was there, but he lost it. Number five, spread the gospel. So share your faith. That's a challenging one for some of us. We're like, oh, man. I don't know what to tell them, Pastor Noe. Tell them the hope that you have found. Tell them what Jesus has done in your life. If you don't know what that is, you better ask Jesus to show you. But it's just communicating the goodness of the Lord. Hebrews 10, 23 through 20, 22 through 23, I'm going to end with this passage. It says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings. So faith brings full assurance. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us, let us hold unswaveringly to the hope that we profess, profess for he who promised is faithful. So we got to realize that faith will release this full assurance in God and, 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 and let us hold to this hope, realizing that God is a promise keeper. He will never break his promises. How many of you have had promises broken in your own life from people? And sometimes those broken promises will hinder us from trusting God and who he says he is. But you got to understand, Daddy God is like no other person. 
Say, well, he was in the flesh, Pastor Noah. Yeah, he was all God. He was all man, yet he was sinless. Never sinned. Paved the way. He set the mark. Many of us set our confidence and our faith and our trust in things that are perishing, that are temporal. Take a quick segue, I'm sorry. Husbands, if you are waiting for your wife to fulfill your every need, they will always fall short. Only Jesus can do that. It's not fair for you to have all your needs met by your spouse. Sorry, husbands, I'll get the wives too. Let me reverse that. (laughs) Men are like, dang, man, it's almost Father's Day. I thought I was going to get off the hook. (laughs) Women, don't expect your husbands to be God for you in your life. Man, I sure hope we're supplemental to the big picture. But don't expect us to be God for you. You can only find that satisfaction in Christ. The author and the perfecter of our faith. Young adults, single people in the room, and anybody not married yet, I'm going to cover all of them. If you're looking for a relationship to satisfy you and you have not already found that satisfaction in Jesus, you will always be disappointed. And if you're not pursuing Jesus like he wants you to, you're going to be looking for the wrong things anyway. So make sure your relationship with Jesus is number one. Number one focus. I've always heard it. You're looking for a spouse, just keep pursuing God. Keep focusing on God. Keep the course. And then at a moment in the season of your life that you're like, I guess I'll be single forever. In your pursuit of chasing after God, you'll look to your left or you'll look to your right and you'll realize somebody is right there next to you. Perfectly placed perfectly timed and you're like wow perhaps guys don't be chasing after girls girls don't be chasing after guys y'all know that's for the non-married ones right come on lighten up it's like oh that's the single ones all right man if you're married and you're doing that i guess talk to me later it's a whole nother topic so let's pursue god let our faith grow get in the word this week I, mean, I don't care what you do. Play Bible, Russian roulette, where it's like, just read something. If you say, Pastor, no, I don't really read the word much. Where should I start? Start Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that's not just because I like the Gospels, but it's just easy to understand. It talks about the life of Jesus. It just really tells all the parables, all the miracles. It talks about the life of Jesus. You guys stand up with me. I'll pray over you. We'll get out of here. God is going to keep working on you. You realize he never gives up on us. He never lets go. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. Some of us just got to give up this morning. And if you haven't done that yet, I with urgency encourage you to. Just give up. But this week, I'm believing that if you will get in the word, if you will listen to the word, that you'll realize that faith dynamic in you will begin to grow. This next week is going to be Father's Day, but I was praying about this message. I said, Lord, what is the follow-up to grow in our faith? 
It, the follow-up is activating our faith. So not this Sunday, but the next Sunday, I'm going to talk about the power of your words, that there's life and death in the power of the tongue, and we need to start communicating the things we want to see happen in our life or realizing what we are saying is creating the life we have. Well, poor me. Yeah, that's why you're living like that, buddy. Change your words, change your life. Keep speaking that over your life. and Well, I don't understand. It's just going to break anyway. All right, if that's, the, if that's what you want, curse or blessings, doesn't matter to me. What are you saying? Because sometimes we say things negatively because of a lack of faith. But can we say things in confidence of faith and begin to see those things happen? Amen. Father, I thank you for each one here. And Lord, I pray that our faith would grow this week. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family,